So we'll, uh, we'll open this up uh, to uh, everybody can be unmuted for now, and uh, we'll start to study. We're in the st- uh, lesson number of First uh, Peter. Remember, we talked. Uh, we spent a lot of time last week on Peter, who he was, the character, his personality, and. Uh, and we uh, discussed him in great detail. We had a good introduction to the book. Uh, so I want to continue with uh, the study of Peter. And uh, what I'm going to do is remember last week I said there were seven imperative commands in the book. And we looked at all seven com- of the imperative commands. And what I'm going to try to do is look at each command and try to structure uh, our study uh, based upon each one of these commands. And what and what Peter does, the Holy Spirit leads him, he gives us a command, and then he prefaces that command with the word therefore. So he's going to have a, there's going to be reasons for the commands, and the, and the reasons are doctrinal, and they're theological, and they're very encouraging. The commands are enabled by the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at this book on trials and sufferings, we see the pathway through the trials and through the suffering is through obedience. And the pathway through the trials and the purposes of the trials are to, you know, for us to, uh, to look forward to the revealing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to look forward to our current hope and our future hope as we look to the uh, uh, provision of grace in our lives. And that is how we get through the, uh, the persecutions and the trials of life. Uh, through obedience and through uh, looking to the blessings. So we're going to see this over and over again, this book. So I want to start out, I want to read first 13 verses of chapter 1. If you will turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 1 through 13. Now verse 13 is going to end with this imperative command. So I'm going to start there and then we'll discuss this, and then we'll uh, move on. First uh, Peter chapter one, uh, verse uh, one through thirteen. Would somebody uh, like to read the first uh, five verses for me? Would somebody like to read first? I will. Okay, go ahead, Melanie. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Uh, Chris Steinman, would you, are you on to have a Bible? Would you read 6 through 13, please? I have a different translation. Is that okay? That's fine. As long as it's literal, okay. okay. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, oh, six through what? Six through thirteen. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a worth in gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great, greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have been, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels 
long to look into these things. <laughs> Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Did I go too far? That's yeah. okay. That's okay. Never. There's no problem <laughs> with reading an extra scripture. No problem. <laughs> So what I want to look at, uh, this great opening, I, I wish we were together, I, I just, I just came out of squirming my seat here, this is such an exciting, this is about worship, uh, this uh, opening of the, uh, of the Apostle Peter, and what he does is, is he, he, he gives us a extended reasons, and extended uh, blessings, extended uh, wand, uh, wantings about Christ and hoping Christ before he gives us this imperative command. So I, so I want just to look at, let's start it with this comparative command, maybe backwards in your mind, but we'll just do it this way. It's easy uh, to keep record of this. So we'll look at, if you're taking notes, we want to look at imperative command number one, and we're going to look at and then we're going to look at the reasons. We're going to look at the because. We're going to look at the how we do these things and why we do these things because of the doctrine that we're going to learn. Let's look at verse 13. This is a great verse for us to, to memorize in these days in which we live. Guard up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that will be revealed to you at the coming of Jesus Christ. So this phrase, gird up the loins of your mind, it's a phrase that uh, we wouldn't be familiar with, and, but it is a phrase that Peter would be very familiar with. He's a fisherman, and oftentimes when he's fishing, he would be he would be wet. And, of course, they wore different clothes back in these days than we did, but the word literally means uh, to gather one's robes and get ready for a, uh, to leave in a hurry. So, so Peter, what he says is, metaphorically, what this means is, and if you're writing this down, this is what this means. Gird up your loins means uh, to pull in all the loose ends of your thinking. Pull in all the loose ends of your thinking. Uh, this is what this metaphor of gird your loins mean as it applied to those days in their dress. But to us as modern day Christians, uh, Peter commands us as his children, as followers of Christ, to pull in all the loose ends of your thinking. Reject, underline that word, reject the hindrances of the world and focus on the future grace of God. Is this applicable to us today? Peter commands us as his people, as followers of Christ, as regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. He tells us to pull in all of the loose ends of your thinking. Reject the hindrances of the world and focus on the future grace of God. Terry spoke about this. I believe it was last week now. It's the same same concept. If you look with me at his sermon, he preached on setting your mind on Christ. And he preached out of Colossians 3, verse 2. That's exactly what it means to guard the loins of your mind. Reject, reject the hindrances of the world and focus on God's grace. And we see this verse. Chapter uh, 3, Colossians, verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. We reject the chaos of the world. It's, it's, it's as if Peter, in this book I said it's very autobiographical. I can just see that, see Peter remembering his walk on the water. You remember when he got out on the boat and Jesus said, come to me. And as long as he kept his mind on Jesus, he was able to walk on the water. But when he started to look at the waves and the wind, he started sinking. It's as if the Holy Spirit is reminding Peter through his life, you reject the periphery. You reject the the chaos and the fears and the anxieties 
They're in this world, and you focus on me. And so Peter is commanding us to reject the hindrances of the world and focus on Jesus Christ. We see that also in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, Paul took to the church in Ephesus a similar verbiage, uh, our ability to fight against the devil. Look at 6.14. Stand, therefore, and gird your waist with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That girding is, is tie up the loose end of your minds with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the truth. He's the absolute truth. He's the way, and he's the life. So focus on him. Don't get distracted by the world and the weight of the world and the system of the world. Focus on me. Same thinking, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. We need to guard what we think. We need to be a Philippians 4.8 people. What's where things are good and noble and worthwhile and praiseworthy? Think on these things. So reject the negativity, reject the wickedness of the world, and focus on Jesus Christ. That's his command to us. Gird the loins of your mind. Any comments about that? Any questions about that phrase, gird the loins of your mind? You'll have to unmute yourself. But it's just a comparative combine that keeps us focused on the real thing, the coming of our Savior and the completion of salvation which he will accomplish in each one of us as people. Any comments about that phrase? If not, he says, guard the loins of your mind and be sober. Now, that doesn't mean don't uh, don't be drunk, although that certainly includes that. But the, the meaning of that is be steadfast. And it literally means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so we as God's people, as we focus on Christ, we need to be controlled by the Spirit. We need to be steadfast. We need to have clarity of mind. And we need to have moral decisiveness. What does that mean to have moral decisiveness? Anybody want to unclick themselves? It says have moral decisiveness. Any thoughts about that? Predetermine what you're going to do in a circumstance, even if nobody's looking. Predetermined decision. Excellent. That's good. Excellent. Predetermined in your mind. So when you are conflicted with culture versus world, biblical worldview, you've already made the decision in your heart and your mind that I'm going to do this despite (laughs) what they do. I'm going to make this choice despite the choice. I'm going to be go down the narrow way and the difficult way, regardless of what the culture and what the world tells me. So it's uh, be sober is to be steadfast, resolved, set in your mind, and have already made your moral decisions predetermined. Excellent comment, Rusty. Anybody else? This is what it means to be sober. Any other comments on that? Well, I'd like to say. It's a reminder of to us to remember who we are in Christ. If we for if we get distracted from that, that's where we jump off the train, you know. That's right. <laughs> we need to remember who we are in Christ. In Christ. Uh, I love what the, what a one commentator says. Uh, the sober Christian is correctly in charge of his priorities and he's not intoxicated with the allurements of the world. And this, the verse that, 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 that just automatically came to my heart is, uh, is, uh, Hebrews 11. Remember the roll call of faith? Remember what this verse says about Moses? Look at 11, Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. This is the very definition of being sober-minded to me as the Spirit just put this verse in my head. Look at Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer affliction 
with the people of God to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. He looked to the reward. That is the definition of being sober-minded. You keep your eyes on who you are in Christ. You keep your priorities in check. You're focusing on Christ. You're not rejecting uh, the world system. And uh, you esteem the riches of Christ better than the temporary pleasures of life. I can't. I, I don't have a better definition than that. What it means to be sober-minded, and what it means to be to guard up your loins. And then it says, this imperative command says, rest your hope fully. Now I'm going to open up hope and what that is in a second. So, but it, to rest your hope fully again is pointing us. To live for the future. It, it, it tells us to anticipate the culmination of our salvation. As Chris read, the, the ultimate culmination of our salvation is the salvation of our souls. Okay? And that is when we are finally, when we are completely saved and we're, and we're glorified in our states, we're in Christ and we are in heaven. So, we are looking forward. That's what it means to rest your hope fully, and I'll develop this in a second. But Peter says, rest your hope fully, completely. Uh, give yourself over by grace to what Christ is doing and will do in your life, and you focus on that, who you are in him. So emphatic, and we see that. Uh, if you'll just let me look at Ephesians 2 again, uh, to rest your hope fully, on the grace that will be received. Look at Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Uh, I can read this forever, but Ephesians 2, 5 through 7. Look at this. Uh, we see this. Uh, Even we were dead in trespasses and sin, he's made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. We've been raised up together. We've been made to sit together in the heavenly places of Christ. The ages to come, he's going to show us the succeeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. So this is what the, the, the commandment is, to rest your hope fully in the future glory. <laughs> Promises made, fulfilled ultimately in Christ and our glorified state. So that's the commandment. And you think, boy, that's, that's a difficult, how, how do we do this? And, and why is this? It's because of the doctrine. So this is the commandment, but now we're going to look at the because and the why and the hows of the commandment. And if, if you'll go back to chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to see various because statements. We're going to see various explanations of why we can be enabled, why we would desire to be obedient, and how obedience takes us through the trials. And helps us to hope in the revelation of Christ. So let's look at this. If you'll go back to First Peter one, we see Ethan, Yes. I'm sorry. What did you say when you said Ephesians? What? Uh, two, five through seven. Thank you. <clears throat> you're welcome. Glad you're listening. <laughs> first of all, let's look at the because of this. First thing I want you to look at in verse one, we can obey Christ. This imperative command is applicable to us. This command enables us to endure the trials for the testing and for our edification because, number one, we are elect. Peter is writing to Christian people who have been dispersed because of persecution. He originally had preached to these group of people when Pentecost came, they were dispersed because of Jewish persecution. They came. Now we're in the in Rome, where uh, Peter is writing this book, and we talked about this last week. Nero is persecuting the Christians, so these Christians are suffering persecutions. They're being fed to the lions. They're being burned at the stake. They're being uh, they're being uh, treated harshly which we know nothing about. And so Peter is saying, I'm writing to you because of your election. And uh, he's writing to them to encourage them that they have been called out by God. They have been chosen by God. 
They've been selected by God for salvation. That's what election means. In elections, uh, the, 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 the thought of election is a thread that goes from Genesis to the Revelation. It's, an, it's a thread that is uh, not particularly cared for by many, even within the Christian community, but is a truth. And, and Peter is saying, you can obey. This is commanded to obey because you have been chosen by God for obedience. And we'll look at that in a second. But just a couple of verses. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We did this a lot in John, uh, the past Romans. So you're very familiar with this uh, phraseology and this term. But this, just to remind you uh, that this thread goes through the Old Testament into the New. The nation of Israel was chosen by God of all the nations of the earth. We see that in Deuteronomy 7, 6. If you uh, find that for me, Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a holy people. You're a sanctified people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. That's the same way you've been elected uh, uh, to be a people for himself. You've been elected to be a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And the reason why the Lord didn't set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, because you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he wants to keep his oath, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. So we see election in the nation of Israel. If you'll go over a few pages to Deuteronomy 14.2, you see the same word used. Uh, this word uh, that Peter is, is, is teaching to uh, these dispersed pilgrims. Uh, he's 14.2 of Deuteronomy. You are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Of course, we understand that this election is by the complete grace of God, and we understand and we'll get into this in verse 3, but this is election. Uh, I, could, I could read many verses. I could read Romans 8, uh, 28 through 33. I could say, I could, I could read, for you were foreknown, you were predestined, you were called with an irresistible call, you were justified, you were glorified. I could read on and on about uh, God's elected election in our lives. Let me just read one more verse. It's a verse that uh, I've grown to be very fond of over the years. Second uh, Thessalonians 2. And we see it in verse 13. Second Thessalonians 2. Chapter 2. Verse 13. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, and you were called by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see Peter addressing the pilgrims of the dispersion, and he says, brothers, you're elect. You've been chosen by God, and because you are, God is going to finish his purposes in you. He's going to preserve you through the trials, and he's going to, by his grace, enable you to be obedient to him, and he is going to bring the remembrance to you, the revealing of Jesus Christ, and he's going to accomplish salvation that he's promised in his people. So uh, a great, worshipful way to start today, you're chosen by God. And because of that, uh, we have great and precious promises and next thing you see, it's still in verse 1, we're pilgrims. What does it mean to be a pilgrim? And I'm not talking about uh, uh, coming over to Plymouth Rock and uh, fellowshipping with, uh, with Indians. What is a pilgrim in the scripture? Temporary resident or uh, anyone that's come to a new situation like a foreigner coming to someplace else. Temporary sojourner. Just passing through. Good job, Dan. And, and Peter says, you're, you're elect, you're chosen of God. And, and remember this, when you're focusing on me, you're just passing through. That's right. Uh, 
this world isn't on your isn't on your own. Uh, Russell and Sally and Dwayne and Fran have been passing through for 80 years, and they know that this is not their home, and they have a future glory. I love Brother Dwayne. I ask him how to pray for him. You know what he says? Pray that I finish well. He don't pray for health. He don't pray for anything else. He says, God, pray that I finish well. And so uh, I love that about Dwayne, but Let's look at this verse. It's in Hebrews 11. Uh, what Dan is justifying is Hebrews 11, uh, verse 13. Talking about this role of faith, Hebrews 11, 13. These all died in faith. They did not receive the promises, but they saw them afar off. They were assured of the promises, they embraced the promises, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return, but they desire a better, they desire a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared his city for them. So Peter says, brothers, you're called, you're saved by grace. You are just passing through. Set your mind on future glory. Set your mind on the heavenly Jerusalem. And these trials and troubles that you go through, they are purposeful. But I want you to know who you are in Christ and look to him. So he says, you're pilgrims, you're just temporary residents. And you're just passing through. Exciting yet? We're just warming up. We're just warming up. Next thing I want you to see. It's still in verse, it's in verse two. We're elect, we're pilgrims, but look at the, the salvation of our souls and look at the involvement of the Godhead. We understand from scripture that all the persons of the Godhead are involved in our salvation. So we see this here. Uh, uh, it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We understand from Scripture that God the Father, at a point in time, according to the good pleasure of his will, before we had done his good or bad, he chose a people to be acceptable in Jesus Christ. Okay? He made that decision, predetermined, foreordained decision. As I've said until my until I'm blue in the face in this class, you've heard it. He didn't look into the future and say, "There's Terry Hens. Terry is going to be a faithful preacher for 30 years. He's going to be married to a wonderful wife. They're going to raise two children, and by God, he's going to be a fellow in ACBC, and he's going to be a counselor. I want him on my team, so I'm going to choose Terry to salvation." No, because he foreknew Terry, because he predestined Terry and called Terry before Terry was even a speck in his daddy's eye, as Jeremiah would say, before you were born. So because God foreknew Terry, that is why Terry is who Terry is, and Terry will tell you that. And if you don't understand that, if you think that that he looked and saw what I would do, and he wanted me on my team. You're not understanding, okay? God foreknew you, and he predetermined your cause in life, and he did it by grace and because of mercy, and he did it for inexplicable reasons that only he knows, and we fall on our face and say, thank you, right? Amen. And so we see Peter as he... Calls us to remember us in our election that we're pilgrims. He says our salvation is accomplished by the work of the Godhead. The Father foreordains us. The Father predetermines. He, he predestines us. And then what he says, look here, in sanctification of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God regenerates us. The Holy Spirit of God creates faith in us. The Holy Spirit of of God, borns us, bores us again, and so and creates faith in us, and so we willfully and voluntarily come to him. That's the work of the Spirit. And then the work of the Spirit glorifies Christ, 
gives us faith to apprehend Christ, gives us the ability to obey Christ and the desire to obey Christ. So we see the Holy Spirit sets the part at a point in time, and then the Holy Spirit progresses us as we walk through this journey, right? And that's called sanctification. And so we see uh, Peter reminding uh, these dispersed pilgrims who are suffering, God called you. It's a work of the Father. It's a work of the Son. And look at this. In the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, Christ came to die for those his Father had given him. Uh, and so he came and he died for those, and those will be saved. And so Christ's blood is applied to them and to their lives. And why does he do this? One of the reasons, look what it says that Melanie read, for obedience. Not because of obedience, it's for obedience, right? So he has saved us, he's called us so that we would be obedient, that we would do the works he's called us to do, and those works glorify Christ, and those works give evidence that we are his. Everybody knows Ephesians 2.10, we're saved by grace through faith, and that's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But then we see that this is going to dovetail what Peter says, we're saved for obedience. Look what 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, all right? which God beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. It's an amazing thing to me that God, we make our choices, but God sovereignly engineers us and, and runs us through just like he does a river. And we eventually accomplish his purposes despite us. It's always blown my mind that God accomplishes his purposes in us despite us. And we will do the works he's called us to do, and his glory will be accomplished, and he brings in his people. Anybody have anything to say about that? Amen. Amen. So we see Peter reminding the people, the trials come, but focus on who you are in Christ. And then he reminds them of how they got there. He reminds them that this is a temporary journey. And now he really gets into it. If you thought that was good, look what he says in verse 3. Blessed is the Father, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has borne us again with his spirit, has regenerated us to a living hope. That word blessed uh, uh, is a Greek word, and uh, it means worship. It means God the Father is worthy to be worshipped because of what he's done in verse 1. He's elected us. He's saved us. He's called us for obedience. And so Peter, can you just imagine Peter? Peter is a untrained, unlearned, impulsive, brash, any type of personality guy who's rejected his Savior, whom his Savior has personally come to him and said, Peter, you've loved me three times. And he has, he has preserved Peter from being sifted by the devil. He has brought Peter to repentance. And can you imagine what he thinks when he says this verse, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, huh? Can you relate to this? You look back in your life like I can, and, and how can we not worship God for what he has done in our lives? If you can reflect on what God has done for you and not worship him, there is a disconnect somewhere. Right? So Peter is effused with praise. He says, blessed be the God and Father. He's worshiping. That's what worship is. When you understand who God is and who you are. And when you understand, it's like Peter saying, depart from me. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. When the fish are brought on, remember the first fishing trip we talked about? It's Peter 
reminding this again, and he's just effused with praise. He's overwhelmed with thankfulness. Thank you, Father, that you would have called me into salvation, that you would have separated me out from from whomever else you could have called. You would have picked me as a fisherman, an ignorant fisherman, and you would have chosen me despite of what you see in me, and you would be would be pleased to change me. And I know many of you that are looking at me, and they, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't want to single you out, but you know who you are, and you thank the Lord, don't you? Because he has taken you, and he's changed you. So Peter is praising the Lord, and he's blessing the Lord that the Lord would do this for him. So we see this praise that comes from, from it reminds us, of what we're all going to do one day in glory when we are standing before Christ and we are worshiping in heaven, uh, Revelation 5. This is really what worship is. When you declare to the Father, to the Son, through the Spirit, the worthiness of them. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Revelation 5, uh, I could read this. But let me look at verse 12, uh, verse 11. Now let's look at verse uh, 9. They sang a new song. This is us, people. This is, we are the elect here we're talking about. They're singing a new song saying, you're worthy. Take the scroll to open for you were slain and you had bought us back from the slave block of sin. You redeemed us to God through your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we're going to reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the thrones, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times. A loud voice, and we all sing together in crescendo, worthy is the man who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as under the sea, and all them said, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him. That's what he's talking about. That's what blessed be the Lord and Father means. That's the culmination of it all. And we're bound before him at the throne. Uh, is this good yet? This is why we can obey him because what he's done for us. So we see we're blessed by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by mercy. The only reason we are where we are and who we are in Christ is the mercy of God. When we were yet sinners and dead in trespasses and sin, he's made us alive. That's his mercy. We got what we didn't deserve. And we got something uh, despite of what we deserve, as I like to say. He has mercy. So Peter is praising, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. He's regenerated us. He's given us, we're new creations now in Christ. The old is passing away, and then everything is becoming new. He doesn't do it. Uh, he does it progressively as we, as the, as the old passes away, the old nature, the old sins, the way we used to live, it's slowly but surely passing away. We're forgetting those things. We're looking forward and we're progressing and we're moving in grace and all things are becoming new to us. Today should be a new reminder of God's mercy, a new reminder of his grace as he's progressing us and refocusing our eyes on him. So we see that he has borne us again to a living hope. Now I want to camp out a bit here. Remember we said hope was a secondary theme of this book. And hope is one of the things the apostle Peter calls us to consistently reflect on as we look at this. And we said hope was what? Uh, Russell has a very good definition of hope. He gives it every time, and it's from and it's from Hebrews chapter six. 
And what is that definition of hope, Russell? Confident expectation. Certain expectation. Confident. Confident optimism. Expectation. And it is full assurance of faith. And we see that in Hebrews 6. In the full assurance, this hope is not wishful thinking. I hope that the Texas Rangers, if they play baseball, is going to have a good team. <laughs> but that expectation is based upon pitchers, Joey Gallo, everything has to align with the planets. And that's a that's a wishful thinking. Hope in Christ is not wishful thinking. It's full assurance and it is an objective thing. It's not subjective. It's not based upon all these uh, factors that may or may not happen. It's objective in that it is based in the object of the faith is Christ. So it's based upon his character. It's based upon what he says. It's based upon who he is. And so our faith is fully assured because it's based upon Christ and who Christ is. And that's found in Hebrews 6. I can read all of it, obviously, for context. But this is verse 18. That by two unchangeable things, because Christ is unchangeable, the same yesterday, day, forever. Uh, it is impossible for God to lie. We have strong consolation. We have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope is an anchor for our soul. It is sure and it is steadfast and enters the presence behind the veil because of the work of Christ. Because he has torn the veil that separate us. He's reconciled us to the Father in a blessed hope, right? And it's a steady, assured, steadfast hope. So when Peter says, he's praising the Lord in this worshipful uh, teaching on blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is basing it upon the hope that we have in Christ and because we've been regenerated by the Spirit, and so it is a call to worship, a living hope. Now, this hope, a few things about hope. If you got a pen, write this down. Uh, this hope comes from God, obviously. Uh, uh, somebody turn to uh, Psalm 43.5. I'm sure you're tired of listening to me ramble. Psalm 43.5. This hope comes from God. Who's got 43.5? Oh. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This is a universal verse for all Christians at all times and all places. We come to this 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 uh, fork in the road, and, and, and we have this choice to be disquieted and anxious and overwhelmed and fearful. And so we ask ourselves with the psalmist, why are you going down this road? Why are you anxious? Hope in God. It is the same thing as Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Why are you anxious? Pray. Make your uh, supplications and your prayers to me. Trust in me. Hope is in God and it's from God. So hope in God. So we see that hope comes from God. Hope is a gift of grace. Let's look at that. If you're reading uh, the point number two under hope, uh, we're looking at this lively hope. What does, uh, in its hope is a gift of grace. Look at 2 Thessalonians. Right. 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Who's got uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.16? Who wants to read that? Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Good hope by grace, given to us as a gift from God. We have hope, and it is a grace gift through the Spirit, and it is, uh, it is a blessing for us, his people, 
that we would have this gift of grace and we could hope in Christ. It is next thing, it is defined by scripture. It is defined by scripture. Look at Romans fifteen four. Terry will get here maybe by the end of the year now, depending on how uh, this coronavirus goes. Uh, 15.4. Look at this. It's all over the scripture. For whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning. We'll get into this as we get more into this of these verses about the spirit of Christ and the, and the prophets and the prophecies of Old Testament. But uh, for whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. So we see Scripture defines what hope is. Scripture points us to the object of the hope. So we see that. Uh, if you look in Peter, 1 Peter 1, 3.15, this is a verse we all know. Hope is a reasonable reality. Because it is a reasonable reality, we as people should always be ready to give a testimony of the hope we have. It's not based in us, it's based on him, so therefore it's reasonable. First Peter 3.15, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, with a good conscience. So we, God's people, as we're enabled by the Spirit, a reasonable reality that we have by the gift of God's grace is we have hope, and we should have a boldness. And I pray that you are having opportunity to tell people during these days of the hope you have. And to be able to systematically explain to people why you have hope. And to contradict their reasons why you shouldn't have hope. It's amazing how that works. But uh, you should have a reason for your hope. And you should have a testimony. And you should have a basis for your hope. So we see that. This hope is secured by the resurrection. It is secured by the resurrection. As we see this uh, uh, in chapter 1, verse 3, we're begotten to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians, that the, the resurrection is a necessity of the gospel, that Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're most to be pitied, and we are still in our sins if Jesus didn't die on the cross, if he didn't. He wasn't raised from the dead. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 15, that our hope is is secured by the resurrection. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 17. If Christ isn't risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But look at verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And so we see our hope is secured by the resurrection. Any comments on these first few? I roll right along. It is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Hope comes from God. It's a gift of grace. It's defined by Scripture. It's a reasonable reality, secured by the resurrection, and it is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. So we see as Peter preaches worship, as he teaches us to worship, so we're able to go through the trials. We see that the hope is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. You will turn again to Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 13. Look at this. It is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates us in us, empowers it in us, and we can have hope. The Holy Spirit confirms hope in us. Hope 
is confirmed through trials. I'll end there. I've got several more, but for time, and I want to get the next topic. Hope is confirmed through trials. We see that in Romans 5, that through the trials, which we're going to get into next week, we're going to see that hope is confirmed not despite of, it's it's through the trials. Look at Romans 5, 3. Romans 5, 3 and 4. And not only that, we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces patience, perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Hope does never, never disappoints because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. We see this union of hope in conjunction with our salvation and confirmed through the trials as God is moving along and he is shaping us to the image of the Son. So we see hope. So living hope, and we see it uh, as a reason for our worship in Christ. Are you excited yet? You betcha. <laughs> well, if you're not excited yet, if this doesn't uh, light your wood, your wood's wet, as the teachers used to say before they used to think, before they used to sing, I want to talk about this. Inheritance. Do you think about your inheritance much? If you get excited about your inheritance from your mom and dad or your family, that's okay. But listen, whatever inheritance you have gotten from your parents or will get from your parents, don't measure up. I find myself often thinking of the inheritance of Christ Jesus, the inheritance of the Father, because we're co-heirs with Christ. What is inheritance? Give me a Webster's Dictionary, and then I'm going to give you a Greek understanding. Uh, Peter says, as he's worshiping the Lord, uh, he says, we have an inheritance, okay? This inheritance is incorruptible. This inheritance is undefiled. This inheritance doesn't fade away. This inheritance is reserved from heaven for you. And this inheritance, and we are kept by the power of the Holy of God for salvation. What is inheritance? inheritance yeah. is, is, Go ahead. Somebody. You're, you're, you're receiving, you're getting God himself to be able to be with him for all eternity. Excellent. Anybody else on inheritance? Well, I was just thinking of the word inheritance alone, and it's something that we get that we don't earn. We don't earn it. It's a blessing. Whether, you know, and God's is the ultimate blessing through Jesus Christ. It's something we don't get, we don't earn. It is because of our relationship that we get the inheritance, right? So because God the Father was satisfied in his son's death on the cross, he raises him from the dead, he reconciles us to himself, he adopts us into his family. So now we're family. And because we're family, as, as Sheila said, now we have rights because we're family. Brothers to Jesus Christ, right? And because of our relationship, our new relationship to the Father through the Son by the Spirit, now we have rights of ownership and we have rights of transference of ownership. The definition of, of inheritance is transfer of property and possessions from one generation to another. But spiritual inheritance is is implied that we inherit what Jesus inherits because we are co-heirs of Christ. So chew on that a while, say law that a while, huh? We have an inheritance because of our relationship in Christ to the Father. And we have a certain expectation of transference of possessions which are ours now by relationship. Okay? Mm-hmm. We have an, an inheritance. Think about that inheritance. 
Now, our inheritance that we get from our parents or from other family members, what are some characteristics of that inheritance? It's completely it's perishable. It's perishable. What else? Don? Yeah. Um, in Ephesians 1, uh, we know that we have this inheritance now. Now. And most of us probably go through this phase of thinking, it's going to be wonderful when I have my inheritance in glory. But the fact of the word is in the present tense here, and it says, we have him. It's all because God puts us in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we have, he says, we have an inheritance. Yes. We have it now. We have it now. It's but like, most of us don't think of that. But when we dwell on what we have because we're his, it gives us a stability through any kind of pressure in life that we could go through. Exactly. I'm glad you're back, Sally. Uh, <laughs> but as we talk many times in the book of John, remember when, when Jesus was praying, the high priest, priestly prayer, he was praying in the first three verses, first five verses for his father to be glorified and for him to be glorified. He says, this is eternal life that you may know. Amen. Know is now. And we don't right. know said in Sally's sayings, we've all talked about this. It's not future glories. It is, but it's the now. That's and we right. have abundant life now. And That's we can right. have a personal relationship, and we can experientially know God the Father now, right? That's right. That's what abundant life is now. Eternal life is, is knowing God, right? Who yes, is? we have our resurrection now. Now. We are in Christ. Where now. We? How can you beat that? That's right. Our position will never get better than we are now. That's right. We are positionally in Christ. That's our right. practical sanctification is going to drastically and exponentially change, and eventually we're going to be glorified. But the now, the abundant life is now. The inheritance, Amen. we are participating in that inheritance now. Right. That's who we are in Christ. So, uh, And so we said this inheritance, uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's incorruptible. That word literally means. Uh, let me look at the Greek. It doesn't pass away. It is not subject to decay. And I love this. There's no germ of death in it. What? It's everlasting life. It's eternal life. It's Christ life. <coughs> inheritance <coughs> is incorruptible. It is irrevocable. Invading army. I love the literal Greek. It says it's unravished by an invading army. And so the, the inheritance is incorruptible, and that's who we are in Christ now. Verses. Uh, so it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. That means it's not polluted by sin. It's unsustained with any evil in it. And it doesn't fade away. It doesn't wither like a flower will wither. It doesn't get uh, corrupted by rust. It cannot be stolen by thieves. All this is a metaphor for you can't lose your salvation. It is, it is, it is Christ's gift to us. It's the Father's gift to us. And it is an undefiled and it is uncorruptible and it is now. It doesn't fade away. And I love this. It is reserved in heaven for you. We think about reservation in heaven. Table for one, charity ends. It is reserved in heaven for you. And guess what the down payment of that reservation is? The Holy Spirit is the down payment, is the earnest money, right? It is the guarantee of this finished work, we are in Christ. It's reserved in heaven for us. I'm going to stop here because I don't want to cheat us. 
Being by the power of God, and I really want to spend a, a tad bit more time about reservation. So bear with me. Next week we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at this, uh, at the rest of this, and then we're gonna look at the trials, the purpose of trials, and we're gonna look at the Spirit of Christ and what that is and what it isn't. But uh, I pray that you've been encouraged by this. We're called to obedience. And we're called uh, through the obedience to remember the why, the doctrine behind the obedience, and that's God, and that's Christ, and that's the inheritance, that's the election, that's the pilgrimage, that's the grace of the Godhead, and that's the inheritance, and that's the living hope. And I pray this is preparatory for a worship with Terry uh, later on. We're looking at looking at eleven. I hope it encourages your heart. It's uh. If he is for us, who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And uh, hopeful for us today. Anybody have anything to offer or add? Uh, I know this doesn't come across as well on video as it could in person, but I hope you've been encouraged by this. Anybody have anything to, to offer or add? You're all unmuted. You, you're able to respond if you'd like. Just to thank you for your uh, your wonderful lessons. Mm-hmm. I hope you're encouraged, Ruby. Anybody else? We all are just so grateful for how the elders have encouraged us through the and have been instrumental in in holding everybody together through Christ through the Spirit. And through your devotional things that you've done, it's been sweet, and we appreciate it very much. We uh, really appreciate you guys. Amen. We, Amen. Like, we, like we get together every Tuesday, and we're very thankful for this is an unusual church with unusual faithfulness. Uh, the giving has been extraordinary. I mean, the Benevolence Fund is uh, available, and uh, we just appreciate your faithfulness and attendance. And, uh, and cooperation, and uh, we're overjoyed. You know, the big negative about that is we're is uh is we don't have to get together uh, and rush things. We can uh, we can fellowship like we are, and when in God's providence we do get together, uh, we have a good continuity through this technology. And we're thankful for. Terry, can right. you offer to that? Well, you know, I will say this: the devil meant it all of the coronavirus virus to be. Uh, for all of us, but for those of us in Christ, God meant it for good. We are closer, even though we're not together physically. We have an appreciation for one another. The gifting that God has given to each person in our body at Grace, they've been operating on those, and Russell and I have been the beneficiaries. Of, of so many who have just loved on us. And good. God meant it for good. Anybody else have anything to say? I would say today that I would be thankful for technology. I'm sorry. Do you hear me, Donna? I can now. Go ahead. I have never. I never thought that there would be a day that I would say I was thankful for technology. <laughs> I don't like computers. I don't like these new phones. But it has been a blessing to be able to meet like this. Yes. God, you were gone so good. You burned out one of my computers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we appreciate you guys. Let me close in prayer, and I'm going to leave this Zoom room open if you guys want to chat. Uh, I'm going to exit, but you guys can chat till 11 o'clock. I'll leave this open till 11, and let's pray. And uh, if you guys need anything, uh, you got our numbers. You call us, and we'll be glad to help you as best we can. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your election. We thank you for your kind providence and your mercy and your grace that you would have chosen a people for yourself. And we thank you that you're going to finish the work you've begun in each one of us. 
that we are going to accomplish the purposes you put us on this planet to do. Your works will be accomplished and you will be glorified. The tapestry will be completed and all your people will be brought into the kingdom. Thank you for the privilege we have as your vessels to honor. Thank you for your spirit that works in us. It makes all things pass away. All things are becoming new. We thank you for the trials, as Sally said. We thank you for that you're going to accomplish your good in all these things. And you're not going to be thwarted or frustrated or discouraged. We thank you for the trials. Help us to be obedient. Help us to guard up the loins of our mind. Help us to be sober and help us to keep our eyes on Christ, not be hindered by the the troubles of the world, but be laser-focused and setting our minds on him, the author and finisher of the faith. Help us to be useful and to glorify you and to love one another well. And we thank you for these folks. We pray that you bless the message Carrie's already recorded. We pray that your word would accomplish your purpose in each one of us and, and, and accomplish the purpose that wherein you sent it. We believe that. We pray that you would build up your people in this faith that you've given us. Thank you in advance, and we praise you, praise you, and we thank you for your work in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.